Welcome to another episode of The Vast Majority. I'm Jackman Deputy Editor Micah Utrecht. There's some very tragic news out of Chicago earlier this week when the Chicago Teachers Union announced the death of former President Karen Lewis at age 67. Hopefully, listeners to this podcast are somewhat familiar with Karen Lewis. Uh, She was an incredibly charismatic union leader that took over the Chicago Teachers Union uh, as president in 2010 as part of a democratic and militant reform slate of leadership within the union called the Caucus of Rank-and-File Educators. I wrote a book about the Caucus of Rank-and-File Educators in the CTU in the 2012 strike called Strike for America, Chicago Teachers Against Austerity that gets into some of that history. Uh, But it was through the activism and the organizing of rank-and-file teachers like Karen and the other members of CORE uh, who won union leadership in 2010 and really turned that union into the democratic militant fighting union that it is known for nationally and internationally today. So her death is a real blow to the labor movement, to the left labor project, to all of us who believe that unions can act as this kind of fighting force that can fight not just for themselves to win better wages, better benefits, better conditions on the job, but can actually fight for the entire working class. The CTU under Karen Lewis did that, and the CTU after Karen Lewis continues to do that. The American labor movement is much worse off without Karen Lewis around, and we at Jacobin wanted to make sure that we took the time to properly memorialize her. We've published several pieces on our website, Uh, memorializing her by folks who knew her in Chicago and elsewhere, and will continue to do so in the coming days. Uh, In the meantime, here is my uh, discussion with a number of people uh, in the Chicago labor left who were close to Karen uh, on her legacy in Chicago and beyond. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Jacobin Talks. My name is Micah Utrecht. I am the deputy editor of Jacobin, and I am joined by Alec Press, staff writer at Jacobin. Hello. Happy to be here. So uh, thanks for uh, being here, Alex. Thanks for everyone who's watching. So we've got a uh, a pretty stacked lineup of people who we're going to be talking to here today uh, about the uh, very sad news that we received this morning about the death of Karen Lewis. Uh, Karen Lewis is the former president of the Chicago Teachers Union, someone who was uh, elected president of that union in 2010 uh, as part of a reform slate of leadership within the union and uh, that, that led to uh, the 2012 strike, which had a very uh, catalytic and, and, and transformative effect on lots of things in, uh, in Chicago, uh, in America, uh, around the whole, the whole country and the whole labor movement. And so um, we're going to be getting into that. Um, and uh, first of all, I mean, uh, Alex, you, um, I guess you, you're, you don't live in Chicago, unlike me. So right. you, know, you follow labor, but you, you, you don't live here. So what, when, you heard, when you hear the name Karen Lewis, I guess for you, what, what is it that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think like I'm a few years younger than you, but not many. But I think for people our age, you know, who are sort of on the labor left, Karen Lewis, even if we don't live in Chicago, sort of represents this new wave that has happened over the past, I think, 10 years. So, you know, labor has long been in decline in the United States. And in part, that's for, you know, this because of the strength of its enemies. But, you know, in part, it's, you know, when you think about union leadership, sometimes there's you wish there was more creativity than is sort of on display. But Karen Lewis, you sort of think of the opposite of that. This is someone who, in the midst of incredibly tall odds, actually transformed a union and in doing so, 
you know, made Chicago once again kind of a, a leading light of um, labor resurgence and also left wing resurgence now um, in ways that I think she probably didn't even realize, you know, would be the case. And so, you know, I know I've never lived in Chicago, but it was incredibly upsetting to hear that she's passed away because, you know, so much of this, the sort of resurgence that we see as um, preliminary as it is, is in part thanks to her. Um, so it's a really, you know, it's a sad moment. Yes, I would agree with that. I think if Karen were here with us and we we said what you just said, which is probably what I would also say, uh, mm -hmm. she she might she would probably agree, but then also emphasize that she did not do anything that has been done in the Chicago Teachers Union over the last decade on her own. Mm -hmm. uh, that she was elected as part of this group of people who we're, we're going to talk about in, in further depth later, but people who believed in a different kind of unionism, a different kind of teachers unionism and a different kind of unionism in general, one that was robustly democratic, uh, that, that saw engagement of its members, politicization of its members, involvement of, of its members uh, as central to uh, good unionism. It wasn't just Karen Lewis, the charismatic, wisecracking you know, uh, leader who, was, who had a personality that was big enough to go toe to toe with neoliberal Democrats like Rahm Emanuel, but that that she believed in a, in a in a real like a mass unionism, a unionism that that engaged its members in a new way, and also engaged with uh, the entire working class of the city of Chicago uh, in a way that had not been done uh, in the in the CTU uh, before her uh, leadership. Uh, so I, I, I she she would probably want us to scale back a little bit on some of the, on keeping all of this praise and putting it on her shoulders right. uh, in particularly, but uh, it's, it's- Well, I mean, it's, yeah. that's what's so, you know, bittersweet about this news is that, you know, she's worth celebrating precisely because of that instinct, right? Because she actually was committed to a democratic unionism. So on any other day, people like me for sure, and probably you, would underemphasize the role that Karen played in all of this because we know that that's sort of what she wants. And that's certainly how we believe unionism should function is it should build up rank and file workers and actually fight for the working class. But on the day of her passing, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't want to impugn her legacy, but we're going to have to talk about her um, and, and give her some props. Well, so, and she deserves uh, yes. props as a as a singularly charismatic and inspiring uh, right. leader. And we're going to we're going to get into some of that in a second. But let's uh, let's bring on some of the folks who we've uh, uh, we've asked to join us for this discussion. So we're joined by a few people. One is Jackson Potter. Uh, who is the co-founder of the Caucus of Rank-and-File Educators, uh, a co-founder and uh, one of the first co-chairs of CORE with Karen. Uh, he's now a high school teacher. He was also the staff coordinator of the union. Uh, also joined by Tara Stamps, who is a veteran Chicago Public Schools teacher, a former executive board member of the union, uh, as well as uh, an administrator of uh, for new teachers uh, at the CTU. Uh, so welcome to you both. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, can you, maybe we'll start with you, Jackson, just talk about uh, how did you first meet Karen Lewis and what were those, uh, what, what were the, what was the context and, and what were you all up to uh, when you first, when you first got together and started organizing together? So I, I didn't know Karen and, you know, sorry if I'm not as clear and focused and, um, you know, profound as, as um, I hope to be. Uh, we, we are definitely Delta blow today, and many of us are mourning. Um, Karen, I didn't know her until CORE had formed. Um, in some ways, CORE, the Caucus of Rank and File Educators, 
we came together in 2008 to help imbue our union with an organizing spirit. And uh, we were kind of like in an exhibition team. Um, we didn't really have a chance, but we, we were able to draft Karen into our caucus in part because Jesse Sharkey had a relationship with her in the House of Delegates, our representative decision-making body. And he was able to convince her, you know, to come and join us. And Karen was a fighter. You know, she was part of a reform caucus in the early 2000s known as PACT that was taking on the machine tendencies of our local uh, that mirrored the daily administration, tried to get things done with business unionism behind the scenes without democratic votes or input or organizing. And so, um, you know, we were fighting the school closings fight. Jesse and I met her through that at the House floor, and we bonded immediately. Karen understood it right away that we had to fight that. It was racist and that it was symptomatic of the union's inability to connect uh, with community forces, parents, students, and really defend the membership against this existential attack. So that was where we met, and the rest is history. Let me just uh, stop you there for a second. So what you're describing is that you had a leadership of the union before 2010, uh, at a time in which there were these serious attacks that were uh, being levied against your union. Uh, and if folks remember, of course, I mean, that's the period, wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but like a decade or a little more ago was a period where the, the attacks on teachers and teachers unions in particular were like, you know, at a fever pitch. I mean, this is the time of like Waiting for Superman, the documentary, and, you know, Michelle Rhee on the cover of uh, Newsweek. And, uh, you know, the, the teachers were being demonized on like a regular basis. Uh, and the, the story, as I've heard uh, folks from the CTU tell it, is that uh, you didn't feel like your union was sort of up to the task of pushing back both against that narrative on, on like the national level and the specific attacks that were coming down in the city of Chicago. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, this this the arc of the attack was even much longer. If you look at the 1983 Nation at Risk report by Ed Secretary Ben is really the genesis of a lot of the rhetoric. But, you know, you had Mayor Daley teaming up with the Commercial Club of Chicago and they announced Renaissance 2010. My school is phased out, Englewood High School, starting in 2005. And that's really where you start seeing emerge a rank and file resistance. And that's where we start, you know, connecting with Karen. Um, that's where we meet activists like Tara Stamps. Um, that's where people begin to say, you know, you can't do business as usual. So my school closes, the vice president comes, I'm the delegate. And he says, you know, Jackson, they're about to tell us the news. He says, they're about to tell you your school's closing. And by the way, the union can't do anything about it. So it was this idea that if it wasn't in the contract, it wasn't possible. Um, and, and I mean, I think Tara could talk a lot about what it was like for members trying to struggle during that era. Yeah. So, uh, Tara, could you let us know? I mean, what 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 was that like in that period for members like you? Oppressive. <clears throat> it was oppressive. It was an oppressive spirit. You felt um, villainized. You felt bereft of um, power. Uh, at that point in time, many of the old guard, and when I say old guard, I don't mean old guard, I mean like veteran teachers. Another thing that happened that a lot of people don't talk about is that around that time, uh, they offered, uh, what was it called? It was like the five for 15 or the, the five, five for plus five. Thank you. They offered the five. And so when they offered that, you had a, a mass exodus of a lot of uh, veteran teachers, many of them black 
many of them black and female who um, were a part of that that powerful legacy of organizing and having a powerful union because a lot of those teachers had come and cut their teeth under the leadership of Jackie Vaughn. So they knew what it was to strike. They knew what it was to fight. And when many of those teachers left, um, there was kind of like, um, you know, just a loss. You you lost a lot. You know, when you when your elders go away and when you lose a good balance in your buildings, you 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 need intergenerational um or maybe I should say, I believe that you need intergenerational connections because you need people who have a memory and have a history and you need the energy and the vigor of the youth, but you need both of them in order to be effective. And during that time, many teachers had just kind of lost their their will to fight and they, they kind of lost, <clears throat> like we didn't have really good leadership. We didn't have a fighting leadership, certainly. And that was during a time where you were just encouraged to go back to school you know, get some additional accreditation, you know, build yourself up, build up your resume, build up your lanes, build up your this. And many teachers did that, you know. Um, I'm one of the teachers that did, but but I'm not unique. You know, teachers went back to school, they got two and three degrees, they got so many um, endorsements, only for another season to come around with uh, things that happened at the state level uh, with financing and how schools were financed to again, push black teachers out. Um, uh, then the school closings rolled in. So I think there was a lull and during that lull, teachers literally just went in their classrooms and locked their doors because they didn't know what else to do except to keep their heads down and teach. They didn't know necessarily how to fight at that point in time or who to fight at that point in time. So by the time that core comes around and Karen comes around, um, now our union has someone to look to. We have some leadership. We have some vision. We have some passion. And again, you had some veteran school teachers that was a part of CORE, uh, the origins of CORE. You had some new school teachers who were a part of CORE. But what you had more, you had a new vision about what teaching could be, what teachers could be. And I think um, from that moment on, we have just continually been very unapologetic in asserting ourselves as unionists, very unapologetic of, of advocating and fighting for the working class, not just in teachers, but leading fights around the fight for 15 and um, food deserts and nutritional deserts and housing crises and so many other things that plague our city and show up in, our, in the faces of the children that we serve. And so I think when we found that light and when we um i actually introduced karen at our like first huge rally and i i didn't know why i didn't know why it was called but um i said yes and uh and i remember not thinking about it like it was a big deal i remember thinking okay this will be fun or cool or whatever but that day thousands seeing thousands upon thousands um of red shirts fall into the auditorium theater. There's like 20, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of educators. And it was on that day that I know we found our voice and we found our power. And um, we've been trying to hold on to that moment, hold on to that energy ever since, because I think once that lion, uh, the lion that is the Chicago, Chicago Teachers Union was awakened, um, so many other people attached their cart to our wagon uh, in labor and started waking up along with us. Mm -hmm. And so 
um, that's kind of like where we are now, but during that season of reawakening, um, prior to us, prior to Karen taking the leadership of the union, it was just like the dark years, like people, teachers were kind of aimless and had lost the vision and had lost the idea of what unions could be. Yeah. So, uh, what, what to sort of summarize what you all are both saying here, you're describing this situation in the union where the union is not, is not joining these broader fights that need to be happening, not even really pushing back against the attacks that you all as rank and file teachers are facing. And, and this organ, this, this formation core, the caucus of rank and file educators, uh, is the formation through which you all get together and say, we need to do our union. We need to do unionism, Chicago teachers unionism differently. Uh, and that's the kind of vehicle through which you, you do that is through core. Right. Um, and that, and that leads to a different kind of a unionism that eventually pops off and just the, what, 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 uh, Tara was just discussing. I want to bring in uh, another person who we have on the line here, uh, Jeanette Taylor, who is an older woman of Chicago's uh, 20th Ward and a, a longtime uh, veteran to in many of the big fights that have taken place in uh, Chicago's uh, working class, black neighborhoods, and on uh, public education. Um, so, uh, uh, Alderman Taylor, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, you know we, we were just discussing these sort of early years of core and these transformations that happened in the in the CTU, how did you experience that as somebody um, who wasn't a rank and file teacher, but was involved in these fights at the at the uh, neighborhood level? So for us, Karen, Jackson, Tara, they're a bunch of names, actually brought the families, parents, and communities into the union. Um, mm -hmm. I have been on a local school council since I was 19, and the union was not a friend, we felt like, mm -hmm. of parents. It wasn't this thing of they knew who we were or they wanted to know us. Um, when they started closing schools in Inglewood, what Jackson Potter was, was when we started to have the conversation about your working conditions on my child's learning conditions. And so they took that and with CORE bringing in Karen Lewitz, it brought us to the forefront of what publication public education should um, look like, which was exciting for me. Um, I always think about the first time that I met Karen Lewis. I was actually a little feel for of her because she said- <laughs> I hear that. Lot, I felt the same way. <laughs> right. She said a lot of what we were all thinking, but she said it and she didn't care mm -hmm. who she said it to. Um, and I was like, where they get her from? But I knew her because she was a chemistry teacher at King, which is in the community that I worked in. And so for me, Karen is the reason why you got a Tara and a Jeanette and a Jay mm. and a Rosanna and a Byron who could run for office and win. She, she started that legacy. She sent CTU down to Springfield and to city council so we could figure out how government really work. And so we all are forever. You see, I got my red on and red is not really my color, <laughs> but I'm forever indebted to the union for making sure that young people in the city of Chicago, especially those of color get taken care of. And they've done that. You think about Jackson Potter and them closing Inglewood High School. That was happening and nobody said anything. Um, and here you got teachers fearless enough to stand up and say, I'm willing to sacrifice my job and livelihood. And I don't think people realize that because these folks put their jobs on the line. And so I'm ever indebted um, 
to Karen and Core and the rest of the folks who came along. The only reason why they got to close 50 schools, because we was just now starting to organize and we didn't know the playbook. But for Core, CTU, and the rest of the community organizations, that wasn't going to fly. And so we've learned to play their games with them and play them well enough where we could take seats in office. So um, I am forever indebted to Karen and the rest of this union and the teachers who came along because they showed us how to put on a good fight and a fight that 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 has changed how we look at education across the country. We don't talk about that. It wasn't striking before CTU. That was not happening. We mm -hmm. wasn't having conversations about what black teachers go through versus white teachers. We wasn't talking about what Latino parents and black parents go through and being mistreated by CPS. And so we all should be thankful um, for the folks that are on this call and Karen Lewis, especially because she brought it home. I'd never been downtown on Lake Street. I'm a South Side girl, never had a reason to. <laughs> they had us come downtown to the building and I was like, this is a nice building. She said, it is nice, but we got some work to do and brought us right into her office and had a conversation about what we actually wanted to see and what type of supports our teachers actually need. And so People don't say this often, but the union is the reason why Mollison Elementary is not closed. Nothing more. Those fights I could have ever took on by myself because I didn't know the system. I didn't know what I was up against. And you think about we've all been through how many BEOs and CEOs and network chiefs and all that. And we still stand it. We still got to learn a lot to learn. And so y'all, the city of Chicago the United States period just got a fight on their hand. And I said it on my Twitter and I'll say it again. Rest in red, Karen Lewis. You will completely be missed, but you carried on a legacy through these other folks that I'm on a call with and these other teachers that's gonna, gonna kick some ass. <laughs> you all have referenced this, but for people who didn't know Karen and who don't live in Chicago, you know, her commitment to transforming what unionism looked like in the city is clearly the thing that was long lasting. But where did that come from? Like, how did Karen come to exist and actually embody this democratic kind of, I'm gonna fight for the entire working class? What was she like? She was around a bunch of teachers and young people that she cared about. And I'm just speaking from a parent's perspective because I'm new mm -hmm. at being elected, but this, just imagine another black mother or black father or white mother or white father sitting in a room together saying, this is what my child education looks like. This is what yours should look like. I remember going on trips to school up north that I've never been to and didn't know that young people had access to it because my young people didn't. And her thing was, it's good enough for those young people. It's good enough for all young people. And so I say it all the time. We we set the stage in Chicago for what happens. And Karen did that. And. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always been, and I talk about this, I've said this to Jackson before, there's always been, been this thing with teachers and parents, and she didn't see us any different, that it wasn't that for her or this union, which is why I got the utmost respect for them. And so mm -hmm. I think about a story she shares when she pushed Rahm Emanuel, and he almost fell off the curb. But he, but to her point, he pushed her first. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know this story. We got to hear this story. Yes, this her and Rami Manuel's first meeting, they're walking it down the street. She has somebody with CTU. He has security. And so he's saying something, and she kind of like, hmm. He pushes her. 
and she pushes him back and he flies <laughs> off the curb. That was the first story that I ever said in her office that she told me. And I was tickled pink. And she was like, why did you think that was so funny? I said, because too often a bully continues to be a bully and you wasn't going for it. So I love you just for that. And she was just tickled because I was tickled. So that is a story that I always take with me. Um, and her coming to us when they were doing okay. Renaissance 2010. So that was a really good one for me. She said she came to Ariel elementary school and sat among some parents and community members and was like, we fighting together. We could Let pass me, it out. We might disagree, but we're going to fight it out together. So we've got a couple other uh, people to add to the call. Let me bring in Emma Tai, who is the executive director of United Working Families, also the author of an obituary, the first one that we published about Karen uh, today that went up on our website earlier, which you can read at jacqueline.com. The Chicago Teachers Union's Karen Lewis dared us to believe we could win. Um, so uh, we're, we're kind of going through the, the, the history. We went through the early history here. Let's talk about, uh, you know, you all, you know, Jackson and others, when you win the leadership of the union and you start making, you transform the union in the way that, that everybody was just talking about to make it into the kind of fighting union that it is now. I mean, what, what, what takes place between uh, 2010 and 2012, once the, once the new leadership is in? Like, how is it that the, that the big, you know, bureaucratic structure that is a union, like how is it that ship gets turned around and how does the CTU go from the union that you all were just describing a minute ago, uh, one that wasn't in waging these kind of fights that you were just talking about into one that goes on strike and kicks Rahm Emanuel's ass in 2012? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it took a gargantuan amount of our energy, our lives. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it probably contributed to Karen's health issues too. It was very stressful. Uh, we were taking on an entire establishment, a political class. They were putting in bills. You had stand on children. That's what Karen would call them, uh, stand for children formally. Yep. Um, passing bills, you had defer, putting money into the legislature. They you know, eliminated many of our rights. You know, We're the only union still in the entire state of Illinois that has to get a 75% active member strike authorization vote and that's part of that legacy of us just getting into office we couldn't even catch our breath they immediately fire four thousand people or ask for concessions we refuse concessions so we were immediately in the fire and karen um you know just had a veteran presence i mean to what tara is saying she came out of the black middle class both her parents were educators she had seen sort of the decline of the union's ability to fight these fights and make these concessions and have these backroom deals and refuse to activate members and the harms that it was imposing, particularly on the black and Latinx community. Um, and so I think that helped anchor us in a really significant way. You know, I'm a young guy, I, I'm an activist, I have big ideas. She's grounded, you know, she's got life experience. So the blend of those things, you know, sort of leftists together with uh, people have a real sense of time and what our structure tests and how to manage that and how to get the union back up to where it was, you know, 30 years ago when it went on strike before we came into office. Uh, those were key and critical elements. But, you know, to the point you made earlier too, Micah, and this connects with what Jeanette and Tara are saying, we were pushed by community to be better, our best selves too. Uh, you know, we were forged within that praxis of working with community organizations. It was G2 Brown coming into my classroom 
helping lead a walk out of my students that gave me courage, whether I liked it or not. It was, you know, I was going to stand up. And when, you know, I went to Karen and said, um, you know, we need to march on the mayor's house. Uh, our cult community partners are willing to do it. She said, you know, I don't want people marching on my house. So I almost got fired for, for that. You know, But it was that sort of dynamism of really trading those ideas and those life experiences and making sure that we could use the best of both worlds. So question to, I guess, both Tara and uh, Emma, either yeah. one of you can answer this. I mean, what, as that, that process was happening that Jackson was just describing, I mean, that's what leads up to 2012. Uh, you know, what was the experience of the strike in 2012 uh, like for you all? I mean, I'll just say that, you know, as someone who is not a teacher, but who was like adjacent to these fights, that the 2012 strike of just an experience that Tara talked about of just seeing tens of thousands of people in the street wearing red and you would just you just drive to work and just hear horns blaring everywhere and people just outside of these schools and marching bands showing up. It just it just exploded my mind in terms of what I thought was politically possible. Um, you know, up to that point, my experience of kind of like what Jeanette was saying about, you know, school closings and Mollison, you know, my experience with these things was that you stood in line for hours at a board of education meeting um, to get into a lottery, to have two minutes to talk in front of a board of education that was handpicked by the mayor. And as soon as you exceeded those two minutes, you were dragged away by security guards wearing white jackets. You know, Jeanette knows, Jackson knows. <laughs> They're all dragged. G2 knows he's about to be on the call. People, these security guards would just take you away from these corporate appointees of the mayor. Um, and suddenly, uh, you know, Karen's leadership in the 2012 strike completely turned the tables on that, that this city and that our schools belong to us um, and that that is that they are our right um, and that we can have them. And that's sort of what I meant in this idea that she dared us to struggle and she dared us to win, to think that we not only had the right to demand more that was being offered, but that we could win more that was being offered to us um, and that we had to take it, that nothing that we wanted would ever be given to us um, and that it was only um, by exerting our power as the multiracial working class, as a poor and working class people, as people who are rooted in the black and brown communities that had borne just the brunt and the violence of the Chicago neoliberal regime that, um, we only win the things that we deserve by standing up and taking them. And Tara, it just really changed how I thought about that. Tara, can you talk, uh, I know some of you have to go soon, uh, ironically, because you have a, a House of Delegates meeting for the CTU tonight, which we're gonna get into what the issues you're probably gonna be discussing uh, at that delegates meeting once uh, once you all are gone. But uh, to, to stay focused on 2012, uh, Tara, can you just talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you and also what role uh, Karen played for, for you and for the other teachers in your school when the strike kicked off? Well, so I grew up, um, you mean, my mother was the late Marion Stamp. She was a powerful activist in the city of Chicago. And my mother would often say, dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't dare to struggle, you don't deserve to win. And Karen um, was the embodiment of that saying, um, she dared us to struggle and she dared us to win and she dared us to take the fight to the bully. Like, I love Jeanette's story because really that's what Jean that little story is essentially what the Chicago, the Chicago Teachers Union is. We push back. We push back. And so we gave other people 
poor and oppressed people, teachers who have been victimized and bullied by principals, um, paraprofessionals who have then been bullied by principals and others and all of these layers of bullying from the principal to the network on up to these um, CEOs. And Karen uh, gave us the voice and the agency to push back because that's really the only language that bullies understand. Um, they only understand the language of pushing back. They don't understand civility. They don't understand democracy. They don't understand um, uh, collegiality and, and, and compromise. Like they don't understand that. That's not a language that they understand. And unfortunately, uh, this Chicago, Chicago and the Chicago teachers, the Chicago public schools have been infected with a history of bullying. Um, and they think that they can still get away with it and they cannot. And um, our job every day as educators, our job every day um, as parents who are also parents and teachers in this struggle, as we continue to stand on the shoulders of great leaders like my mother, now uh, Karen Lewis, who is among the Council of Elders and the Council of Ancestors who are still looking down on us and, and, and um, so many other amazing women uh, who are the vanguard for all of these fights and the fights don't end. And so we got, you know, you got myself coming up and out. And what it's felt like these last 10 years is just powerful. Really, you know, teachers speak with a different cadence. They walk with a different gait as a result of uh, Karen Lewis and the first strike of 2012. You know, we, we enter into things now with less trepidation. We, we scrutinize more, we ask more questions. We come to the table uh, prepared to give some things up because we know what we deserve. And so we, we, we they've basically created like a, a army of, of um, folk who are ready to soldier up in most cases that we do it afraid. Even right now today, even as we have this HOD meeting um, waiting for us to attend and people calling around all day saying, okay, what are we going to wait, what, what are we going to do? And what I've been telling people all week is that we soldier up. We soldier up. And no matter what it looks like, we win. And although our lovely vice president right now, Stacey says, uh, even as we kind of face this new attack, it's not a win. It's just a solution. It's just a solution. This ain't nothing to, 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 to run around and scream for, to run around and shake your hands up in victory for because everything we're asking and things again, we, you know, just our family and communities deserve. But I think the biggest thing is what Jeanette did. Karen brought in the marriage, the natural relationship between schools and teachers, between schools and families. You know, my mother with uh, Dorothy Tillman were the first to start LSCs, um, the local school council. So I come from a tradition of understanding the value and the importance of a unified front between, between um, the school building and the community. Um, and I think, again, Karen just lived that and she was engaging and she was funny and she was fearless. And, um, you know, you stood a little taller when she was in the room. You were more eloquent uh, when she spoke to you. You felt seen and you felt heard. And oftentimes that's all people want is to feel seen and to feel heard. And Karen did that. And then she brought us all along with her so that we can continue to do that, so that we can empower our people, so we can empower the least of these, because we are still yet fighting for this, the, 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 the city and the schools 
that our people deserve. And that fight will not end with us. We got amazing young activists coming on even behind us. There's a young sister named Whitney Jean. I dare you to watch out for her. She's coming for you. She is powerful. And so that is the job. You know, the baton got passed to Karen and Karen passed the baton on to many of us. And we're going to have to leave this legacy too. And my mom died very young. And Karen, I wish I had gotten more years as well. But I am reminded that it's not the quality, the count, the, the count of years that you get. It's what you do with them. And so even at this age, Karen has left an indelible mark on this city and country and world. I mean, I have had the privilege to go and take our message to uh, the UK and talk about activism and unionism and how do we unite teachers even in the UK. So that's the power of what happened um, under the leadership of Karen Lewis. And we continued, we understood that we have to organize, organize, organize. <laughs> and so that's what we um, are doing. And I, and I hope that she's looking down on us and, you know, and whispering our ears like, Put it to them. Put the screws to them. Put the put, get them up against the wall. Get them up off you, um, because they do not stop. And so it's our job to keep raising fighters that are prepared to soldier up on the behalf of the least of these. Well, there's no better summary, I think, of Karen's legacy than that. My God, uh, you know, and also a real indication of the kind of leadership development that she believed that it wasn't just about Karen Lewis. It was about Tara Stamps and Alderman Jeanette Taylor and Jackson Potter and everyone else. So we we know that. Um, the very least, Emma Jackson and Tara probably have to go because you have to go carry carry on Karen's legacy in a, in a meeting in about 20 minutes over a current uh, school's reopening fight. So we want to thank you all uh, for taking the time to, uh, to remember Karen with us on a, a day when you got a lot going on and when all of you I know are uh, grieving the, the loss of, of this giant uh, Karen Lewis. Uh, so thank you uh, for your for your time talking to us. Uh, Luda Continua. That's how Karen... <laughs> signed off all of her letters. And oddly enough, that's how my mother signed off all of her letters. So <laughs> the struggle continues. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. Uh, so we're going to bring in a couple other guests that we have on deck here, uh, including uh, Alderman Carlos Rosa, who is a city council member representing Chicago's 35th Ward, where I am right now, uh, as well as G2 Brown, who is uh, the national director of the Journey for Justice Alliance. Uh, and uh, as he described himself, a proud son of Kenwood Oakland Community Organization, uh, also where, where uh, Jeanette Taylor has deep roots, a, a community organization on Chicago's south side. Uh, so thank you to both of you uh, for, for joining us tonight. Um, so, you know, you've, you've heard the conversation we were just having and the sort of legacy that, that Karen leaves after 2012. I wonder if you, uh, either of you uh, could pick up on uh, what's happened in this city, or maybe maybe particularly for the two of you, the political space that was opened up in this city that did not exist before Karen Lewis and CORE and the 2012 CTU strike. Like, How has the city of Chicago been transformed uh, because of what the CTU has done and, and specifically because of this leadership of Karen Lewis? Maybe G2, I'll start with you. Okay, uh, thank you, Mike, I appreciate it. Can you, can you all hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so I appreciate, uh, being on, um, you know, heart is really heavy today. Um, I, I think Jackson laid it out well when he said that core was forged out of community. Um, you know, I knew Karen cause she was a chemistry teacher in my neighborhood at King high school. Um, I mean, this is in the night, like late 1990s, um, when Chicago first got hit with the scourge of school closings. 
in the Bronzeville neighborhood where I'm from, the Kenwood Oakland Community Organization is from, um, we had, uh, you saw the demolition of public housing. As public housing began to come down, they began to close schools. Uh, then we heard about this plan called the Mid-South Plan, which was a plan to close 20 out of 22 schools in our neighborhood and turn them to charters. Now, what was heavy about that was that, you know, when you look at it in context, where is Bronzeville? Bronzeville is 10 minutes from downtown Chicago, right off Chicago's lakefront, it's prime real estate. So we knew from the beginning that this was not about, um, uh, had nothing to do with education. Now, what was the union's position during that time? The president was Marilyn Stewart. And we were seeing thousands of teachers fired with no resistance. And so there was a group of educators that began to, to want to fight back. And through working with Pauline Lippman and Dr. Rico Gutstein with the University of Illinois Chicago College of Ed and Teachers for Social Justice, they formed CORE. Uh, now, what happened in that process is that because they had come for our neighborhoods first, people like Jackson Potter and Jesse Shark had reached out to Coco and reached out to us said, you know, how are you all fighting back? So I remember going to Sin High School where Jesse Sharkey was a teacher and help him organize some town halls against the militarization of that school. And as Jackson mentioned, um, this, this bald head black guy walks in his classroom helping to organize a, a student walkout. So CORE, we began meeting as community organizations and this upstart uh, um, a group uh, in within the Chicago Teachers Union. And what began to happen is that CTU leadership at that time began to come to our meetings to keep an eye on CORE. Uh, it was crazy, but what ultimately, um, and, and there was a lot that happened that led to ultimately the, the, the CORE caucus winning in 2010. And what I will say is that the Chicago Teachers Union, along with several community groups around the city that came together uh, Re reignited the spirit of fighting back, uh, reignited the fact that the, the say that it's not a done deal when they say it's a done deal. So I remember, I, I can tell you just countless stories of us doing, uh, uh, doing, uh, doing tent cities in front of the school board meeting, sleeping out in front of the school board to say that in order for us to have voice, this is what we have to do. Um, I can remember me and Jesse Starkey and others taking over a school board meeting and running the school board out. Um, and this was because CORE and, the, and a fighting union um, with all of its members uh, gave energy to what many of us felt in our neighborhoods, but maybe collect, you know, individually didn't have the power to bring, to bring, it, to bring it to fruition. Also, um, the unity that we had forged was real. It, it was a it was a sense of we may not agree on everything, but we agree that our children deserve better than this. We agree that school closes does not work. We agree that purging black teachers out of the system is inexcusable. And so for many situations, we got back to back. And Karen was much, much more than a figure. Karen was brilliant. She was bold. Karen was hilarious. She was charismatic. She was principled. And despite her Dartmouth education, would cuss you out like somebody's auntie at the family reunion, right? <laughs> and so Karen was relatable. So Karen can walk in a room with a group of mothers on the west side of Chicago and not only feel them, they could feel her. 
So it was really important, her time and the moment that she walked into this space, because I will say this, the leadership of Karen Lewis transformed the labor movement in the United States. It transformed it. It pushed labor to be more, um, uh, uh, to, to align with community more. So what you began to see are these efforts at community and labor tables all over the country, places like Baltimore, places like Pittsburgh, um, uh, Detroit, uh, Oakland, California, all these different locals began build, trying to build the community labor table that we had established with the Chicago Teachers Union. Myself, Jackson Potter, Karen Lewis, and the former executive director of Coco, Jay Travis, actually had breakfast after they won and we said, let, now let's make the grassroots education movement, the community labor table official. It was important to her. And, 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 and she also respected the power that community groups brought to the table. You heard Jackson make the point that the march on Rahm Emanuel's house on February 7th, uh, 2011, I was the one that was pushing them in the meeting to do it and they didn't want to do it. But credit to her leadership, and credit to the humility that she walked with, they agreed. And it was an important action that shifted the fight against Rahm Emanuel. It said, we can take this bully on, right? And that, that, that action, I would take that to and through the Chicago teacher strike and then to the diet hunger strike in 2015 when people stormed the stage and chased Rahm Emanuel off the stage while we starved for diet high school. That fight gave people the notion that we can fight this bully. So, I mean, her impact has been tremendous. I, I'll say one last thing. I traveled uh, as my work changed and I became the director of this national organization. I saw Karen in other cities and people treated her like a rock star. <laughs> and it was beautiful, but it was also worrisome because there was all this hope put in this system. And, and I agree with Jackson that it was extremely stressful. And so we used, we met with CT and was like, y'all got to have somebody travel with her. And they did because, you know, she was out there often and people had been so beat down around the country. So beat down that when they saw this figure of hope, they cling to it. Can you imagine giving a speech and you have to talk to 75 people before you get to your seat? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And she was that giving. She was that giving of a person. So that, that, that's my, my piece on that. Carlos, I specifically, I want to ask you about the relationship between Karen Lewis and, you know, even more importantly, maybe just the CTU that she helped make and then left elected officials in Chicago. Because from the outside of the city looking in, you know, it's very obvious that this sort of transformation of the CTU into a more radical place actually made Chicago a more radical city. And then people like you popped up, right? You know, as sort of winning these elected positions. Yeah. You know, I want to uh, thank you and Micah and Jacobin for creating the space. It's just been so great and so healing to hear from so many activists and leaders, to hear from Brother G2. You know, Karen was brilliant. Um, she was like a magnetic pole and everything around her just came straight to her because she just let out so much energy. Um, you know, CTU earlier today said that Karen just didn't lead their movement. She was the movement. And I think that she really represented that for so many progressive Chicagoans who were tired of seeing the fifth floor where the mayor has his office or the mayor has her office beating up on our communities, disinvesting from our communities, 
uh, closing our schools. You know, I, I was a Chicago public school student from 1993 to 2007, from kindergarten to 12th grade. And I can tell you that the feeling of disinvestment, the feeling of being kicked when you're down, that was very pervasive within that system. It was just very clear that there was a war being waged on public education, and it was coming from the fifth floor. It was coming from the neoliberals. It was coming from the so-called education reformers. And so Karen Lewis comes in at a point in time where it really seemed as if this neoliberal paradigm of school privatization, that it had won, right? This project that had started in the you know mid 20th century by fringe libertarian and right wing uh, you know, think tanks uh, had really become the mainstream of American politics. You had waiting for Superman and a lot of folks have talked about this dynamic that was going on. And Karen Lewis and the caucus of rank and file educators come forward and they say enough. And I think to really shift that paradigm, to really take on that status quo, you needed somebody like Karen Lewis who was fearless. You needed someone like her who was so charismatic, who was brilliant, who knew how to deliver one-liners, but also knew how to deliver speeches, who also had the ability to really hit the so-called education reformers with not just her experience, but with the data and with the policy chops to back it up. So Karen really inspired so many of us uh, really beginning in 2010 when she takes over uh, the Chicago Teachers Union and they begin to fight. Going into 2011 where you have the mayor who came from Washington DC with Barack Obama's blessing, with all the connections in the world, with his big time Hollywood brother, with all of his uh, Rolodex and his ability to fundraise money, Karen Lewis really said, no, you're not going to you know, shut down our schools. You're not gonna continue to disinvest from our community. You're not gonna continue to privatize and deprofessionalize public education. And she really showed us that you know, the fifth floor doesn't have to run everything in the city of Chicago, that you can actually bring people together out into the streets and through people power, through solidarity, you can win change for our communities. And you can do it in such a way where you bring communities along, where you reach out to the Latinx community and the undocumented community and the immigrant community. CPS is majority Latinx. Um, she really created a powerful coalition with community groups, Black-led groups, Latinx-led groups, uh, parent groups from all different parts of the city. And I think that really it, it was her charisma, it was her brilliance, uh, and it was all the people that she was working with in core. So that really inspired me because again, that was that poll, right? When you think about left politics in Chicago, when you think about progressive politics in Chicago, you know, for quite some time, there really wasn't much going on. But when CORE and Karen come into the CTU, they begin to branch out and think about politics differently. They're not just thinking about, you know, very limited fights within uh, you know, with the boss at the Chicago Public Schools, they're thinking about how do we reach out and build in the community? How do we work with grassroots activists? How do we work with parents? And so in 2012, you know, you had the Walton family, you had uh, all the education reformers backing up Rahm Emanuel in that strike. They're putting ads attacking the teachers union. You know, you have the Chicago Tribune bashing the teachers almost daily on the uh, front page of uh, city's main paper. And so, it was not clear, right? And we hadn't had a teacher strike in a very long time. It was not clear that this was gonna be a slam dunk. There were a lot of you know, people in the political class who felt like this is how Rahm Emanuel is gonna vanquish the teachers union. This is how we're gonna show that there's a clear divide between parents and uh, the teachers. And we're gonna be able to continue to push our privatization line once we defeat them in this strike. So for them to go on and strike, for them to come out victorious, for them to have masses of people in the streets of 
supporting them, it really showed that a different politics was possible. And it really inspired so many people, including myself, to say, you know what, we as the progressive left in the city of Chicago, we have a shot at gaining power and we have a home. We have a vehicle to do that. And at that time, it was the Chicago Teachers Union to bring people together, to provide us with resources, to provide us with that institutional support. I cannot understate the importance of the Chicago Teachers Union in building up the progressive left in the city of Chicago. You know, I was going through my social media today to see different things that I've said about Karen Lewis in the past. And in 2014, when I was becoming a candidate for alderman, I commented about how Karen Lewis and the Chicago Teachers Union were talking about forming United Working Families, an organization to create an independent, progressive political powerhouse in the city of Chicago. And I talked about how that was so exciting. We now see how United Working Families was so critical in electing so many of the wonderful democratic socialists and progressives that serve with me in Chicago City Council. And not just to the Chicago City Council, but people we now see in the state house, people we now see at the county board. CTU has been that you know, sustaining force behind so many of the progressive left electoral wins in the city of Chicago. And so much of that came out of Karen Lewis, even Congressman Chuy Garcia, you know, it was Karen who really came forward and said that he was going to be the candidate to challenge Rahm Emanuel in 2015. So arguably, we would not have a Congressman, uh, you know, Chuy Garcia without Karen Lewis pushing him to run for mayor in 2015. Rahm Emanuel would not have gone to a historic runoff. I wouldn't have been elected in 2015. Jeanette Taylor would not have been elected in 2019. Rosana Rodriguez, so many others would not have been elected without the indomitable Karen Lewis. And we just owe her and the CTU and CORE such a debt of gratitude. Now, this is getting to be a problem because you guys are bringing up all these things I want to talk about, but I feel like we're running out of time here There's so much because we could talk about Karen Lewis and her legacy for hours. What, uh, I, you mentioned the mayoral run. I want to talk about that. But first, before we go any further, I just, just you have to humor me. I want to go over some of Karen Lewis's greatest hits because I was looking up some of the old, you know, p- people have made mention that she's she's charismatic. You know, she, uh, I, did anybody mention that she used to be a stand-up com- comedian or she used to at least dabble in stand-up comedy, which was obvious to anybody who ever saw her on a stage. I mean, she could just like seize hold of a room. She really knew how to, to grab people. Uh, but somebody reminded me, uh, Jake Biddle on Twitter today reminded me about this line. Kale, we have a screenshot of this. Um, so uh, Bruce Rauner is a, uh, the former governor of Illinois, a, a very uh, far-right Republican, a billionaire. And, uh, you know, he, he is a real central villain in uh, the, the, you know, free market education reform efforts in the city. And <laughs> if I can just read this quote here from uh, when, when Karen and the CT were going toe-to-toe with Bruce Rauner. Chicago Teachers Union President Karen Lewis compared Governor Bruce Rauner to, quote, an ISIS recruit during a Wednesday speech at Chicago's City Club. Bruce Rauner is a liar. And, you know, I've been reading in the news lately about all of these ISIS recruits popping up all over the place. Has Homeland Security checked this man out yet, Lewis asked, because the things he's doing looks like look like acts of terror on poor and working class people. Rauner's office quickly rebuffed Lewis's claims. I love that Bruce Rauner's office had to clarify to the press, like, no, Bruce Rauner is not a ISIS. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So what oh else is goodness. on the greatest hits? G2, what else do you have on the greatest hits list? Oh, well, a lot of uh, Karen's greatest hits, I really can't say on this program. I mean, you know. It's a family program. It's a family program. But Karen often, uh, I really like the fact that she coined the organization Stand for Children, Stand on Children. And that caught on all over the country. I mean, because she used to also say, let's stop calling these people reformers because they're not reformers, right? 
they're destroyers. And and so she she really had a way with words. But as and and then I would also say, the the humor helped make her more relatable, even more relatable to not only educators, but but, but whether you're a Latinx mother or whether you're a black a black a mother on the south side of Chicago or parent, you know she was really relatable to the people. Can I ask, um, unless you have a favorite anecdote? Carlos, Carlos has to have one. Oh, I'm sure well, you a quick one, Carlos. The media loved bashing Karen. They one time tried to use something that she said. She was doing a speech or a talk, and she said that when she was at Dartmouth, she used to self-medicate a lot by smoking a lot of weed. And they tried to use this against her, and it was like, oh, actually, yeah, really that. relatable. Like that actually, this makes her real. She's honest. She's going to tell you the truth. And so even the things that they try to spin to use against her ultimately just show just how charismatic and real she was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask either or both of you about for the for people at home watching this, you know, there's been a lot of news about the CTU in the past few weeks. And I was hoping one or both of you could talk about what's been going on and what is going to happen, you know, in the next few days. I mean, there's a House of Delegates vote tonight, for example. What is that about? Hmm. Well, I think the question that teachers are going to have to answer is, you know, do they feel like uh, the plan that's been negotiated is going to provide enough safety for them, for CPS families? We know that 80% of CPS families have said no to a return to in-person learning at this time. They don't they don't uh, trust this district to do what's necessary to protect our kids and protect their families. This district has not earned that trust. The few uh, nurses, the few social workers, the few uh, you know levels of uh, safety and security that exist in our public schools are there because the teachers have had to fight to win them time and time again. So I, I think at the end of the day, teachers are gonna have to answer that question if they feel like the work that's been done. You know, we could have been much further mm -hmm. along if Mayor Lightfoot and Janice Jackson, the CEO of CPS, had begun this conversation months ago, but they refused to do it with the teachers. And basically what they said is, we don't need to talk about these things with you. We don't need to negotiate with you. We swear to you that the schools are safe. Just crack open a window, everybody wear a mask, everything's gonna be fine. And teachers said no. And it was not until teachers said, you know what? We're gonna force you to lock us out. We're gonna show up to work, but we're gonna continue working remotely in the safety of our homes. It wasn't until teachers began to escalate to that point that finally now CPS has said, okay, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna negotiate, but it's been very slow moving. It's very clear that the mayor has not been serious about trying to make sure there's a real safety plan in place for our Chicago public schools. So kudos to our teachers for taking on this fight, because again, this is one of those things where you have the media, you have the corporate class, you have the mayor all against you, all teaming up to try and pigeonhole you and say, shut up, do as you're told and they're really showing that when workers have a union they can fight and win workplace safety yeah and g2 i wanted to ask you about this because uh carlos just mentioned that the the media has really joined in the the chorus uh, against school or, or, or against teachers unions who are saying that we, the, the, there's not a proper plan in place for a safe reopening and i've, I've almost heard like shades of what we heard pre-2012 when the the neoliberal reformers would say that we are the ones who are you know fighting for students of color and working class kids we are the like the inheritors of the legacy of martin luther king or whatever else by trying to privatize the, the american public school system and there's a similar thing going on now like well we want to reopen these schools for black and brown kids and for working class kids uh it, it just it's, it's like a throwback to, to before the 2012 strike when we used to hear this stuff all the time and i, and I think there's a, a lesson in that i think the lesson is that um just because somebody talks progressive does not mean that they're progressive and this mayor got elected with a lot of progressive promises but her history was not progressive and so i think 
for us as we move forward in the spirit of Karen Lewis, we have to build the type of unity and the type of strength that leaves no room for those type of perpetrators to, to come out and actually try to stand on our platforms. And so I think that's important. Um, also, uh, I think Carlos is right. Alderman Rosa is right. The, the Chicago public schools has earned um, our mistrust. Uh, the school that Jeanette was on the local school council uh, of for 20 years is Mollison Elementary School. Before COVID pandemic, when they privatized custodial workers, right? Um, Mollison, along with several other schools, was cited for rodent infestation. And this is before. So, so you, you get rid of the union custodial workers. You hire this privatized company that has a, a checkered record all over the country. Your costs come down. Our schools are filthy. So now we're supposed to trust that this, this same institution, Chicago Public Schools, is going to do right by our children. So I, I think that our charge is that we have to dig a lot deeper in regards to what we want to see for our city. Uh, do a lot more work in regards to just connecting the people neighborhood by neighborhood, which we can do, and begin to advance like a quality of life agenda for our communities that includes education, includes health care, health care, housing. Because we're seeing, you know, they say, you know, when you when you apply heat, the truth will come out. Like when when blacksmiths had to get iron ore out of the earth, the way that they turn iron ore into iron is they apply significant pressure and heat. And all the impurities drop off. And then when it's over, you got you, you have your iron. And by the same token, we have to apply that type of heat on those people that sit it there in our corner. Because this mayor is not in our corner. This administration is not in our corner. So I salute the teachers in the position that they're taking and the fact that they have significant community support. So this is really an opportunity for us to actually reimagine what education looks like. Because just because they say it, does not make it so. Just because, like, you know, uh, the mayor got on the news, uh, Janice Jackson got on the news saying that teachers weren't going to get paid. You know, she flexed real hard on the news. And then when the teachers are like, okay, well, check this out. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, you know, now that now they're negotiating. That's right, because the one thing a bully can't take is when they get socked in the nose. And, and, and so... And so I believe wholeheartedly, man, that, that this 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 moment is an opportunity. You know, the thing that made Karen, one of the things that made Karen beautiful is that she was serious about us working together. She was serious about it, right? And so I can tell you many of fights that we had, the worst elected official, if you open a dictionary and it says the worst elected official in the history of elected officials, it's probably a picture of Will Burns there, the former alderman of the fourth ward. He was absolutely terrible, terrible. And he used to talk, and he used to always try to talk to Karen Lewis about how bad we were. And she would call me, you won't believe what this bitch said about you. And so, <laughs> so, and, but, and so because of that, we always knew his moves before he even did. And, and so um, I'm thankful for the life of Karen Lewis. I'm thankful for her legacy, but she leaves a lot of she leaves a lot of lessons for us to reflect on as we move forward. Now we've been talking about what's going on with the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot, and the the struggles that are ongoing. I mean, in, in many ways, the the kind of fights that 
the the core came together to fight around are still very much present in the Chicago public schools today. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, Karen's uh, fledgling mayoral run, which is a, a kind of like, you know, alternate history that I don't, you know, I get a couple drinks in me, I start thinking about that, and then I get kind of depressed <laughs> because I don't like to think about what could have yeah. happened. Yeah. Uh, we've yeah. got, yes, the proof, 2014, Micah Utrecht run, Karen run, uh, encouraging <laughs> Karen. Karen Lewis should be the next mayor of Chicago. Um, so can we, let, let's, let's talk about that. And, and uh, I mean, this is not a thing that happens very often in the 21st century, right? Like, like first of all, there, there were nobody was going on strike in this in the way that the CTU went on strike in 2012. I mean that that in itself was this catalytic moment. And then the strike and all of the CTU's organizing creates this kind of momentum. I mean, I say in that piece, I remember you know um, people used to joke at events and stuff. Karen would be speaking, and people would be yelling like Karen for mayor, you know. And people had just kind of like said it enough times where it became a real. People were like, oh, actually, maybe Karen for mayor. Uh, and there was this moment where we all thought that, uh, I mean, I went to some of her early campaign events, right? She was starting to do campaign events around the city to go up against Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and then, of course, this tragic, uh, the, the tra tragedy struck, which was uh, that she has had this uh, brain tumor that, that was found. Um, so, uh, Carlos or, or G2, maybe start with Carlos, just can you, what, what were you thinking during that that time? And how do you uh, look back on it now when we thought that maybe for, for a second, like some of us, uh, how we thought that maybe Bernie Sanders was actually going to become the president of the United States. We thought that Karen Lewis was maybe actually going to become the, the mayor of the city of Chicago. You know, I think if Karen Lewis had, had not been diagnosed with uh, a brain tumor, I think she very well would have been mayor of the city of Chicago today. She was brilliant. She was charismatic. She knew how to deliver those one-liners. She knew how to galvanize people, give them hope. You know, Rahm Emanuel had a really big campaign fund, one of the biggest. I think he ended up spending $30 million in his reelection effort. It was a ridiculous sum of money, uh, you know, for the number of votes and the number of people that ended up coming out. Uh, you know, Chuy Garcia, um, you know, who was not the same candidate as Karen Lewis and, and didn't have the same appeal to the black community and other communities as Karen Lewis, he did uh, really well against, uh, you know, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, despite all the resources that Rahm Emanuel brought to bear. And so what that really shows to me is that if a Karen Lewis type figure, if Karen Lewis herself had been able to run uh, and, and put herself on the ballot and end up uh, becoming uh, the candidate of the progressive left in the city of Chicago, I think she would have trounced Rahm Emanuel, I have no doubt about that. Again, she just had such an ability to reach people from all different races, from all different backgrounds. She had such an ability to really talk about the policies and the issues that we were facing in a way that not only showed her grasp of the issues, but also that she understood what regular people were going through. And so it's, it's just such a, it's such a shame that we weren't able to see that um, and that the diagnosis came when, when it did. Um, because I, I really think that she would um, have been the mayor of the city of Chicago and she would have been a progressive mayor like we haven't seen since Harold Washington. Amen to that. And I, I just want to share a little bit. You know, I think one of the things that really made, uh, you know, when you are a community organizer, activist, but when you are a community organizer, you're often um, fighting for dignity and respect. And you're often demonized for saying to someone, get your foot off my neck. And, they, and their response is, well, you should like my foot on your neck. And often um, people say, well, you know, you, you're, not, you're not appreciated for your intellect. You're not appreciated for your strategy. You're not appreciated for your strength. 
They may say, we appreciate your passion or whatever. Um, Karen appreciated you. And proof of that is when she ran for mayor, her interim campaign manager was Coco's former executive director, Jay Travis. And we went around with Karen when she was running, and I agree 100% with Alderman Rosa. She would have won um, because even people that were not political knew Karen Lewis. You go to the barbershop, and, and, and they said, what you think about it? Oh, girl, she going to beat him, man. I'm going to vote for it. You know what I mean? And you saw the energy was there. And I think there's a lesson in that, that it was possible then, it's possible now. Yes, Karen was a charismatic figure, but Karen also brought with her the education justice movement. She brought with her not only labor, she brought with the community organization all over the city of Chicago. She brought a powerful machine with her that was the antithesis of the Chicago machine. And so if we move with the type of sincerity that she did, if we move with, if we, if we realize that regardless of whatever letters come after our name, regardless of our titles, if we rec recognize that what can happen to one of us can happen to all of us, then it's very possible that the, that the, the power of the Chicago organizing community can make that happen again. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a, I was with Karen on, on several events and I'm telling you, physically she struggled doing this, right? Before the diagnosis, before all of this happened physically, she struggled, but her heart, she wanted it. She wanted, and she didn't want it because she, you know, she wanted to sit on some pedestal. She wanted to answer the call. She wanted to answer the call. You know, I was just reminded of uh, an event that she did leading up to, uh, you know, paving the, the road for her to run for office. And it was in Logan Square and it was supposed to be outdoors. Um, and hundreds of people had gathered and it started pouring cats and dogs. And we said, you know what, we're gonna go down to this little Mexican restaurant down the block. And hundreds of people ended up in this little tiny taco, you know, stand uh, type restaurant. And Karen Lewis walked in and it was like a hero's homecoming in Logan Square. I mean, people were just in love with her. Hundreds of people all covered in rain. It was just not the ideal situation to be in, but to see Karen in that room, just to see how people loved her. And she lit up that room. She put a smile on people's faces. She put hope in their hearts. There was just so much excitement. Um, and, there, and there was really a sense of, we're doing this. We're gonna take on the powerful corporate neoliberal machine with a person who's been out there building people power, who's shown the working people, the city of Chicago and this nation that they can stand up and fight and win dignity. And we're gonna have a real fighter for working people on the fifth floor of city hall. And again, it was just such a travesty, you know, uh, her diagnosis and her having to remove herself from the race. Um, but she didn't take a step back. You know, she said, let's support Chuy Garcia. Let's make sure we have a candidate out there. And, you know, arguably, again, you know, the fact that, you know, CTU was pushing, the fact that Karen was pushing Chuy Garcia to run really meant that folks like me were able to get out there and run uh, and that the, you know, corporate democratic machine here in the city of Chicago, that neoliberal machine, you know, had its hands busy, you know, because Chuy Garcia was there giving Rom, uh, you know, a run for his money. And a lot of people like myself and others to be able to run insurgent campaigns and win. Carlos, you mentioned sort of what she showed the nation as far as working people being able to fight back. And both of you, but maybe first G2, you know, one of the legacies of the Chicago Teachers Union under Lewis is the teacher strike wave that happened uh, in the past couple of years, though, you know, it could still be in the making, I think, because of this pandemic. But certainly in 2018 and 2019, teachers struck across the country and again and again among the rank and file, as well as among sort of the union leadership in some of these locals. 
what was cited as the example and the inspiration was Chicago. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that effect and that, that sort of um, these union locals and teachers across the country sort of taking this up as a challenge and a model? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that emerged um, from, I think, our collective fight against school privatization in Chicago, uh, which was definitely uh, 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 boasted by the teacher strike of 2012, was the formation of a national organization called the Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools. These are national community organizing networks, the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, national youth organizing groups, uh, and, se and several other organizations. And when we would do, uh, uh, sometimes we would have national convenings, and you would see the hopelessness that a lot of people, a lot of labor leaders walked in the room with. And so the example of, 20, of 2012 gave people, and, and, and actually being able to sit down and talk to labor leaders who did this and explained to them how they built relationships with the community. Why was the, why was the public support so high when your children had to stay home? Well, many of our children were actually out on the picket line with the teachers, right? And so mm -hmm. that experience um, gave people a blueprint uh, by which to fight. And so I think then you started to see other teacher unions develop their own set of progressive leaders. Los Angeles, United Teachers of Los Angeles with Alice Caputo Pearl. Uh, folks in Baltimore, there's, uh, there's a progressive president, uh, our sister Brown in Baltimore, Maryland. Folks um, in all over the country. So I think you, what you're seeing now is um, these, these union leaders who are walking in the door with a, with a sense that they are supposed to be um, a social justice union, as well as meet the needs of their members, but they, they cannot ignore the issues of social justice. We say that, they, uh, you know, my child's living conditions are also their learning conditions. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe that that was critical. I think that what needs to happen, um, that what, what needs to happen just being candid is that the community and labor relationships that were forged in 2012 have they have to be forged in these other cities and these other efforts as well so that teachers striking is not just about their personal interests but it's about social justice right? right the 2012 we have sustainable community schools in chicago because the chicago teachers union took community demands and put it in a union contract because we don't have an elected school board right so mm -hmm. that example of creating space for community organizations in your labor negotiations is revolutionary, right? It, it, it is, it is, it is change-making. So yeah. that's an example that I think that, again, learning lessons from this struggle and moving forward that, whether, you know, that our, our teacher unions have to adopt moving forward. Yeah, I appreciate you two providing, you know, that that example of, you know, the organizing that happens between communities when they come into conversation with one another, because that's critically important. You know, someone from the outside looking in, you know, I think we've talked about this a little bit um, thus far, but, you know, this was a dark time when Karen Lewis was elected president of the Chicago Teachers Union. You had Waiting for Superman, this, you know, anti-teacher union propaganda movie, which basically said, look, our schools would be great, but for teachers unions, right? And I think this was an extension of an all-out war on the American labor movement, right? Where we had seen unionization rates completely collapse within the private sector. The only real source of good union jobs that still stood was in the public sector. And of course, there was a real push from corporate America, from neoliberals, from the right 
to completely crush and destroy teachers unions. And on MSNBC, on the Oprah Winfrey show, you had these specials where they would bring on Randy Weingarten and they'd all beat up on her. And you had these so-called education reform gurus talking about how the teachers were the problem. And I think what Karen really made clear was that beginning in 2010, when she becomes president of the Chicago Teachers Union, I was actually a union summer for jobs intern with the AFL-CIO. And I got sent to a community meeting in Little Village where she was the guest speaker. Um, and this was my first exposure to her. This was my first time hearing her, and I had to write about it for the now defunct AFL-CIO Now blog. But what she said was essentially, look, if we want good public schools, we have to empower the teachers. We need to listen to the ones that are providing the education in the classroom. Like all the woman Jeanette Taylor said, you know, our working conditions, our teacher working conditions are your child's learning conditions. Um, and Karen also brought forward data and she talked about how the best schools in the world were those that were run by teachers, where they had systems where they listened to the educators that were in the classroom and they provided them with the professional support that they needed, but they also empowered them. That's workplace democracy. I think that's fundamental to unionism, the concept that the people that are working at the front lines, right, the people that are on the assembly line or the people that are in front of the classroom, that they are the ones that should be actually setting policy, that they are the ones that should actually be determining the conditions under which they work and how they can most be successful at their job. That is unionism. That is socialism, right, at its core, that workplace democracy. And so what Karen was saying was not just you know, very novel at the time, but it really flipped that whole script on its head, this notion that we're going to have these business people, these CEOs come in and they're going to, you know, basically treat kids like widgets and we're going to cut budgets and we're going to slash and we're going to destroy teachers union. And by providing this business model in public education, we're going to be able to turn things around, right? We're going to be able to privatize uh, public education. In the city of Chicago today, there is a moratorium on charter schools. That is a clear victory of the work that Karen Lewis and CORE started. In the city of Chicago today, there are charter schools with unions, right? Which that is like antithetical to the charter school privatization movement. One of the whole goals of having charter schools is to break teachers unions, right? So to have charter school teachers not only unionize, but to be part of um, the uh, Chicago Teachers Union is radical, it's revolutionary, it's a big transformational change that really helps to ensure that public education is gonna to continue to be public. And the other thing too is we have to remember that, you know, Jackson was talking about the bills that they were passing uh, in Springfield, stand, stand on Children, you know, D for Democrats for Education Reform, which by the way, I'm still blocked from their Facebook page to this day, I guess I told them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, they were passing bills and, and one of the, the stand on children lobbyists was bragging, was caught on camera bragging, I don't know if anyone remembers this, about how the Chicago Teachers Union was never, ever going to be able to go on strike again. That was their director. Yes, sir. Right. And CTU proved them wrong. Karen Lewis proved them wrong. And I think as a direct result of that push to say, no, teachers are going to fight. Teachers are going to save our profession. We're going to save public education. I think that's one of the reasons why you saw so many wildcat strikes, right, where people in states where they, as educators, didn't even have the right to unionize or the right to go on strike, they said, no, we're going to demand workplace democracy. We're going to demand that those that are doing the work be respected and be listened to and be properly compensated for the work that they're doing. I mentioned on Twitter today that I was thinking when I heard the news of Karen passing, the very first time that I met Karen Lewis, which was at the United Electrical Workers Hall, which is the site of many important uh, events in the Chicago labor and left and community organizing. They all take place at UE Hall in the West Loop. And uh, this was right after the strike. I was 24 years old and the strike had just happened. I had written about it. I wrote it. The very first thing I ever wrote for Jacobin was uh, about the strike. 
And so it's an event reflecting on the strike, and I see Karen there, and I'm like, oh my god, that's Karen Lewis. Oh, uh, should, I, should, I, should I go talk to her? I, I don't know. Maybe, what do I have to say? I don't have anything to say. Uh, I guess I'll go talk to her. And Karen was Karen was wearing like a, a black leather trench coat, a Hawaiian shirt, and like a bedazzled black hat. <laughs> it was it was quite an outfit. I walk up to her and I like introduce myself, and I'm sure I was like mumbling because I'm so, <laughs> I'm afraid to talk to this lion of of the labor movement, and. I, I don't remember what I said, but something about like, well, yeah, you, you guys, you guys really, uh, you really defeated the uh, the neoliberal reformers there. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and she she goes, yeah, we did. We spanked their asses. We just went, dish, 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 dish. <laughs> and then we said deuces, and she walked away from me. And what better <laughs> image to remember Karen Lewis on than spanking the asses of the neoliberals <laughs> and saying deuces which is i think uh that's what she wants us to uh to go and do likewise <laughs> so i want to thank uh Gigi brown alderman carlos rosa of course also uh, staff writer alex press our producer kale and everybody else who was on the stream earlier um i i someone uh, texted me to mention that i should probably mention that i wrote a book about this so i guess i have to there it is. Strike for America, Chicago Teachers <laughs> Against Austerity, that chronicles some of the early days of this fight. And if I could brag a bit about this publication, Jacobin from the very beginning has understood that what was going on in Chicago and what continues to go on in Chicago, what, what folks like G2 and Carlos and Jackson Potter and Tara Stamps and everyone else are doing is really at the forefront of working class organizing in, in this country. I believe that very strongly. I may be a little bit biased because I live in Chicago, but this city is really pushing the envelope of what left labor organizing uh, looks like and is setting an example for others around the country, as folks have already mentioned. So uh, we have covered that from the beginning. Uh, Alex just wrote a piece the other day uh, about uh, Chicago parents staging a sick out in the midst of this current battle with uh, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, there are dozens and dozens and probably hundreds of uh, articles in our archive covering what the CTU has been up to. Oh, and also, I should mention that uh, we produced a booklet years ago, six, five, six, seven years ago, called Class Action. And uh, Karen Lewis is a contributor to this booklet. So uh, Karen Lewis, in addition to being uh, the, the labor lion that we have been talking about already, is also a, a, a contributor to this fine magazine, uh, Jacobin. So uh, rest in peace, Karen Lewis, uh, a true giant, and uh, will be standing on your or your shoulders for years and decades to come as we continue to fight for the better world that uh, you insisted was possible. So thank you.